There are some passages in the Bible that you might think that we preach them for the same reason that we climb Mount Everest, because they're there. Um, But uh, a passage that has no short amount of ink spilled on it, a passage that many people come to when trying to determine what God is doing throughout history is, first of all, a passage of great comfort to Daniel in exile. We'll think about that as we, as we read this shortly. I will just say that uh, I, as I was studying this, it became very clear that this was not going to be a definitive sermon on Daniel chapter 9. In fact, we will be looking at the prayer next week. Um, but I will be moving over at a fairly, uh, fairly quickly, quick pace, dropping down in a few areas. There is a series of sermons by uh, Pastor Kim Riddlebarger that I found helpful and agreed with on most points. So I might post those on Facebook if you would come away wanting more. Um, But let us get into God's word and let's begin with prayer. Lord, we come to your word and we thank you that you spoke to this man who was at this point old and missing his homeland and uh, still suffering the effects of being estranged from the land of his birth, and that you gave him a word of comfort, Lord. We pray that it would bring us some comfort today, too, and that it would draw our attention to who you are as the God of history, the God of mercy, the God who provides for his people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what do you do when you kind of want to go home, but you can't, whether that's really or metaphorically? You know, um, you just, there's times when I've really wanted to go home. I've been on deployment, and especially my, my last deployment, which is almost 10 years ago, missing my bride and just ready to go home very soon in. I know um, <clears throat> just recently and just going through the difficulties of, of Life and pregnancy with twins, Elizabeth said, you know, I'm just going to be glad when this day is done. You know, it's just right. You, you have those times or when you are home, but you're not feeling, you're feeling disappointed with something. Deep disappointment. What, what do you do? Well, this passage is, is, seems strange to us, but is a word of encouragement. And it says your real home is further away than you think. It may be further away than you think, but it's far better than you think. And God's hope is real. So what we're going to do is read the first two verses of Daniel, and then we're going to jump. We're we're not going to read his prayer. We'll reference it a little bit. Daniel prays, but we're going to read the first two verses, and then we're going to jump to verse 20 and read the rest of the chapter. This is God's word. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a descendant of a Mede, who was made king over the realm of Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign... I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And then Daniel prays a a beautiful long prayer, which we will talk about next week. And then we'll read now God's response to him in verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord, my God, for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, 
came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be a war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. This is God's word. You can picture Daniel here. There's a regime change. Now, uh, Cyrus, or Darius, um, has been uh, enthroned. He's taken over. He, he is now, uh, he's kicked out. The, he's defeated the, Babylon, the Babylonians. The times has changed. Daniel can see it changing. And it's 70 years. And this is significant because Jeremiah the prophet prophesied that after 70 years, God's people would return home. It's important enough that I would like you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 25. And we're just going to read a few sections of what he prophesied. Jeremiah chapter 25, and we read verses 8 through 14. If you're in the Pew Bible, this is page 652. This is what the Lord says. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride and the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after the 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great nations shall make slaves even of them, and I will recompense them according to the deeds and works of their hands. And then flip over to Jeremiah 29. There's, 
There's a very famous, um, the, the famous verse, for you know the plans that I have to prosper you. And it comes from this passage where the Lord says to the exiles, settle down. And then after he says that in verse, chapter 29, verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed from Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. You can imagine the impact that these words from Jeremiah, perhaps sent to the people, Daniel might have received this as a letter, would have had on him as a young man. And he has been in Babylon for all these years. And so at this time of climactic change and 70 years later, he's praying, Lord, is this the time? And so as he's praying, God sends Gabriel to Daniel to give him a better understanding of what these 70 years are going to be. And this interpretation, maybe we could say it is a fuller interpretation that expands and maybe even you could say explodes, goes from one dimension to two dimensions of these 70 years. Now, by the way, God does fulfill the promise of bringing the exiles home after 70 years to Daniel. And we're not going to look at it tonight, but in the daily Bible readings, you can look in Ezra. And in fact, if you go just back a page into Second Chronicles, you'll see how God does fulfill those words of Jeremiah to Daniel. But now he says, Daniel, there's actually something even bigger going on here. And I'm going to explain this meaning to you. But as you read about the 70 weeks, it seems like it maybe uh, has more questions, provides more questions than answers, right? There's a, there's a whole bunch of questions about these 70 weeks. What are the lengths of these weeks? Are these literal periods of time? Who, who are the, the anointed one? When, when does he come? Is, is he this, there's, there's one in, in verse 24. There's, there's one in verse 26. Is the, are they the same? Who, who are the people of the prince? And what are the desolations? And who's making the, the strong covenant? And that's just the beginning. You could get into the Hebrew, which is very difficult, right? And so there's all these various interpretations, including some very odd ones that says the anointed one at the very end is actually James the Just in 60 AD before the temple was destroyed and then extrapolating that there's 70 years starting again from 1947 to the renewal of Jerusalem to 2017 when something special was going to happen. I should say that this webpage was written about 2011. Right? So, I mean, there are all kinds of spectrums, interpretations, and we really don't want to get um, too far afield here because you could just go down all kinds of rabbit trails. Um, I'd like to kind of briefly just give you two familiar interpretations and two interpretations that are faithful. And what I mean by faithful, these are people who take the Bible seriously. So, Paul, do you have the, the chart for the, the, um, the first is the, the dispensational interpretation? So, so people who would say that God's people, Israel and the church, are, are two different identities, right? two different entities. And, and so what they would say is that this, the weeks are each seven years and that these are literal years. And so there was, there was a decree by, by Artaxerxes 
and, and when you add those seven weeks plus 62 weeks up, it, it brings you into Jesus' ministry. And so Jesus is that prince who is cut off, and that is his sacrifice. And then they would say there is a gap between week 69 and week 70. And that gap is the church age where um, the Jewish people rejected God. And so he started a new program of grace with the church. And then the church will be raptured. And then you'll come back to the 70th week. And there was there were half weeks, right? So those weeks now are half weeks are literally three and a half years. And there will be right in the half. There will be the Antichrist who will be the prince. And he will come and make a covenant with the people, perhaps the Jews, and he's going to desecrate the temple, and then there will be tribulations, and then the Messiah will return. That's, that's how um, they would view this interpretation. Actually, just go ahead and keep that up for a while, Paul. Okay. Um, so this is, um, I would say, now what can, what can we say about this? Well, Jesus does play an important part about this, but, but notice how Jesus isn't the end of the story here. He comes, and then there's, there's kind of a gap, and then, and then it's, it's focusing on what the Antichrists do. And if I understand it correctly, um, all the things in verse 24, which are important, all the things that are going to happen, fulfilled transgression, put an end to sin, atone for righteousness, anoint a most holy place, that would be the temple, all these things that are really the, the focus of the, the prophecy won't happen until this 70th week. So it really puts the emphasis on the end time, right? And so the goal is really here, um, Jesus' work is significant, but then there's a new temple along the lines of Ezekiel 48 that was, they would say it was a literal temple and, and it's going to be anointed and that's going to bring in a new time of worship with um, God's people. Now, generally speaking, I'm not, not very sympathetic with this approach. There's, there's not a massive gap, in, no, there's not a gap in the text. Right, so so you would have to read that in, uh, and then reimposing the temple systems back into end times is really a step backwards when you look at the New Testament. Um, but this is a very popular reading. I also think it takes the focus off of Jesus a little bit in the center there. It's really focusing more on, on this this end after the gap. But but to be fair, um, the the people that would read this would would definitely say that that. What's happening at the end is because of Jesus. I read John MacArthur, and he was—he's—he's he's still saying Jesus is very important. And I know people who take Scripture very seriously who are saying this is how we understand Scripture. So this is why we think it's this way, right? So I—I I just put this up there because there are a lot of people that view it this way, and and really hold it faithfully and with sincere beliefs. That's that's how it looks. Okay. The other way that you might say is what more of the reform position would be um, we call it either all millennial there's, there's no millennial or maybe we just say inaugurated eschatology that's not really even any more helpful right basically the end times begins when Jesus comes right the end is now and it's just going to get better when Jesus comes back now it's actually in some ways quite similar to the dispensationalist approach on at least in the broad scale for the first 69 weeks except that often the, that would understand those weeks to be symbolic and they don't necessarily have to match up date for date, but just talking about particular periods of time. But where the difference is, is would see that Jesus' work at the cross is really the complete fulfillment of Daniel 9.24, right? Seventy weeks are decreed to finish transgression, put an end to sin, and atone for iniquity. We, we would say that happens 
at the cross, that's what I would say, the, 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 the all-millennial point, and in, in the way that Hebrews 8 through 10 talks about Jesus doesn't stop all sin at this point, but he's, he's defeated sin, right? He's provided a payment for sin, he's atoned for sin, and he actually would say, well, what, what does he anoint? Well, he goes into the Holy of Holies, not made by hands, and he, he sets it apart with his own blood, making that new and living way for, the, for God, right? And at that point, it's not the Antichrist in the future, but it's Jesus who confirms the covenant with his people. It's a renewed covenant. It's the new covenant, right? And so then the prince that comes and brings desolation with the people is not the end times Antichrist, but it would actually be the Roman general Titus who comes in and destroys the temple in 70 AD. And this would come right from the words of Jesus where in Matthew 25, verse 15, he says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Doesn't mean that it might not look forward to another end times judgment, but Jesus is talking about that's happening right after, shortly after his, his death. So the only question then comes, well, what, what about that last week, if that's the case? 69 we, weeks is up to when Jesus comes, and then they'd say, well, a half week is his ministry. What do you do with the other half of the week? Well, there would be two kind of different camps in that, maybe three. One is that we just, we just don't know. Daniel doesn't say. Another would say, well, it really just comes up to the judgment time. And a third would say, well, actually, it's looking at Revelation. We can kind of infer it's talking about all of Jesus' work in the church, because that period of three and a half years shows up in Revelation time and time again as it's talking about the whole period from when Christ comes to the church. So in this age, this way, it rightfully puts the focus on Jesus, understands that the numbers are symbolic. Um, But you could ask, does it make sense of that last week? Does it really make sense for a a week to be three and a half years or or close to a period and then a very long definite time? I don't know. That... That might be a little stretching. Um, and, and would a Jew really say, okay, Jesus is coming to put an end to the sacrifices and think that's a good thing? Well, at least be very surprising for them, right? There's, there's really no consensus. Uh, in fact, when you think about it, not just, not just with the dispensational and the all-mill position, but if you look across the board, there's different commentators who cannot agree on whether this prince who makes a covenant is Jesus or the Antichrist. And when you have that, not just two camps, but people across the board, what that does put you in is a position where you have to be kind of humble and say, okay, we can see, we can see some broad pictures here. We can see what God is doing, but maybe we shouldn't make this a hill to die on on very specific details. Calls for humility. So I want us to look at just two questions at this text that maybe will just give you um, a, a better feel for some of these things and even where, where you might say, yeah, okay, that last position makes sense or it doesn't. First of all, these 70 weeks, are the, what are these weeks? Are they, are they literal periods of time or are they symbolic in some way? And this is really important when you put your Bible together because the people who like to do the numbers, man, they're, they're always adding numbers up and trying to get it right. So you've you got to kind of figure that. And, and I will say again, there are people across the board who would say, you know, these are, these are literal numbers. And even people in the Reform camp, there's some people who would say, these are literal numbers. But I would argue that these numbers are symbolic. First of all, you cannot avoid at least some 
symbolism because it literally says these are 77s. So if you're taking that at face value, you'd really have to say these are literally 70 weeks. There'd be 490 weeks and not years. There's, there's already, everyone's already making the leap saying these sevens are, are years and not weeks. So that you can't avoid at least some symbolism. Secondly, if you're going to be very literal, you have to acknowledge that it's, it's hard to get the numbers to line up just right. There's, there's a couple different decrees, and I'm not going to bring all the numbers up, but there's, there's a lot of different ways, a lot of different starting points you, you can use to kind of make it fit just right. And when anyone kind of comes up with a certain argument, it, it kind of sounds like they're, they might be forcing it just a little bit. And then you've got to stop and recognize that this genre is it's apocalyptic. And generally, numbers are symbolic, especially when they're numbers with special significance. 490, that is 7 times 7 times 10. Right? Those are numbers loaded with both um, symbolism and theological significance. Right? 7 is the Sabbath. It's the sign of the covenant, of the Mosaic covenant. It's covenant language. It's not just saying this is oh, any old amount of time. It's, it's talking about God's covenant. There's also 49, which is the year of Jubilee, right? When you had, when you had seven Sabbaths, sabbatical years, at 49, land would be restored, people would be freed. It was the symbol of the ultimate rest that was coming back, this time of great joy. And although there doesn't seem like there was a time that the people actually practiced it, it was a very powerful image. And really what you're talking here then is ten, a period of ten jubilees, right? So I think it's very much it's better to see this and, and look at this as a genre in scripture and say these are symbolic numbers. They kind of, they point to rough periods of time. And we'll come back to that in a second. So are they symbolic? I would say yes. Second of all, what is the content of Daniel's prayer? What's the context of Daniel's prayer? Why is, why is Daniel praying and why does he get this vision? He's, he's calling on the Lord to remember his people. And, and when we, we look at this prayer next week, we'll see that it's, it's dripping with the, the words and the promises from Deuteronomy. That we are in open shame right now because we have not obeyed your law. But now, God, hear us. as We're turning and we're praying to you. Remember us and bring us back. Be faithful to your promises. So the context here is covenants. It's God's promise to his people. God, be who you are. Be faithful to your promises. Well, what can covenant teach us as we're looking at a passage like this? It can tell you it's, it's probably not looking at way to the end times. It's, it's, not a, it's, it's really a question, when will God rescue his people from the exile and bring them back into the land? And God does do that in a limited way with Ezra and Nehemiah. So that happens. So, it, it's, it's hard for us to be thinking, if God's already brought the people back into the land, then, then God would be using this vision of the 70 weeks to talk uh, more about the land. Um, I, I think a theologically astute dispensationalist might say, well, you know, this is, this is the end times restoration of Israel being faithful to Abraham's covenant and, and, and that. But if you go to Jeremiah, there's, there's another talk about covenant, right? It's, it's to talk about the new covenant. In, in Jeremiah 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day I took them out by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. 
My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declared the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's the second part of Jeremiah's promise. It's not far, really, from 25 and 26, or 25 and 29, and now we just read from 31. It's coming right after those 70 weeks. It's the new covenant. And so given the context of Daniel 9 calling out for God to remember his promises of the covenant, well, how do you make sense then of verse 27? He will make a strong covenant with many for one week. Would that be the Antichrist who um, is not necessarily, or would it be, it's covenant language, the prince who was cut off for his people? who was cut off for the many, now makes his, his covenant with the many. In fact, um, the ESV translated it, he will make a strong covenant. It could also be translated, he will confirm a covenant. He will take the covenant already in place and make it strong as the Messiah brings out the new covenant that he confirms by sprinkling the temple with his blood. So maybe it extends then the three and a half years extends to the the final coming, but the focus is on Jesus and his work on the cross. So let's just finish talking about these two questions of symbolism and covenant and put them together. If the number is symbolic and Jews hear this 490, seven times seven times seven times ten, they think jubilee. And they think that's, that's the tenfold expression of God coming in covenant relationship with his people. Where the debts are forgiven, the land is returned. People come out of bondage. And all of that is, is what Daniel's bemoaning right now. We are in open shame. And what God's promising here is after these periods of ten jubilees, Jesus will come. And it will be full redemption and restoration, even, even if it's not yet fully realized. So if you put this all together, here's how I would view the weeks. Uh, although I would not die on this hill. You, know, you get the seven, you get the sixty-nine, and you get this one. The seven weeks is a period of relatively restricted time and and this is from the period where Cyrus decrees for the people to go out and where Ezra and Nehemiah, they build the temple. If there is a prince there, it would probably be Ezra as the, 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 the priestly figure. And then 62 weeks is a relatively extended time from the, the time of Jerusalem, the Jesus ministry. I don't think it lines up if you try to make it 62 times 7, but it's, it's fairly close. And Jesus is the one who is cut off for the many. He fulfills that role of suffering servant. And then the one week is this climactic time period where, where Jesus fulfills all of the prophecies in verse 24. He anoints the Holy of Holies. The, the way is brought forth for the Lord. And then there's the death of Jerusalem. And then we, we wait is, until Jesus comes. So what does this mean for us now? As, as we're, we're waiting through the 70 weeks of, of Daniel. We can take comfort once again that the great promises of God to Daniel have been fulfilled in Jesus to us. Um, and these promises do not skip you, right? If, if we are a parenthesis, if we're kind of a, a plan B, then there's a question whether how much this applies to us, the 70 weeks. But that's not what Peter says. When Peter's preaching, now he's preaching to the Jews in, in Acts, but when he preaches to the Jews in Acts and Gentiles are about to become in, Right after they say, you know, we've crucified God, what do we do? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Those far off, you read Ephesians 2, what Paul says of Gentiles. Gentiles who are being brought in to this promise of the weeks, sometime in the 70th week. Whatever that says. Daniel's not specific. Maybe Revelation can clue us in. So think about then. We're homesick, we're homesick exiles sometimes. This is about a word to Daniel. And saying, Daniel, it's, it's not just about returning to your physical home, as good as that may have been. You're homesick, yes. Your exile is terrible, yes. But I have something much better in store for you. Right? The plans that I have to prosper you. Think about you on this side of the cross. There's some ways that we're like Daniel. You're in a country that, that is not your final country. You're, you're citizens here, but it's, it's not your last place. There are times when individually you might experience deep disappointment or pain. In, in persecution, a time of sickness, a time of weakness, permanent weakness, losing a job, the death of a child. All these things. And yet, we do not suffer and grieve without hope. God has remembered his promise. We've already had the great jubilee and Jesus coming and being cut off and, and anointing the sanctuary for his people. And your final home may be further away than you think. But it is more better. It's better than you can think. And in the meantime, we have real hope. So I don't know, maybe, I don't, I don't know where you are in your life right now, but maybe you're in a time of, of disappointment. Or maybe doors have been closed. You can claim this hope. Right? As you go through this week and, and you deal with the disappointments, as you deal with the ache, you can remember Jesus who brings in the jubilee who stands at the center of history, who brings all those who have faith in him real hope. Take this. Grab onto it. Remember it. And claim it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you reveal your word in in ways sometimes that are are piercingly clear, other times that are more vague, but, but all of them are firm. And all of them point to Jesus and give us real hope in Him. And so wherever we are right now, whether we are rejoicing and our hearts are singing, or we have a real dull ache or even a chest that is just frozen in, in, in pain and numb with shock, Lord, something that's difficult that's happened. May, may Jesus, our priest who was cut off for us, the one who has removed us from exile, be the one who gives us great hope. May this be a sermon, perhaps that not lifts our spirits for just a little bit and, and gives great application, but is part of that firm foundation that we have as Christians who know that our time here is but short and we wait for that second resurrection, glory of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.